Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start with breaking news of a disturbing assault involving a seven-year-old girl. It happened on SkyTrain and police need your help identifying the suspect. Jordan Armstrong is live with the details on this. Jordan, investigators have released a still and video of the suspect. Sophie, that's right. This happened back on February 2nd. It was a Saturday evening, and despite extensive searching, police have not made an arrest, so they are releasing images of the suspect tonight. Here's what happened. Transit police say a 7-year-old girl and her mother boarded SkyTrain at Commercial Broadway around 7 p.m. two Saturdays ago. The suspect was already seated on the eastbound train. The video police are releasing of him tonight is from earlier in the day at Coquitlam Central Station. Investigators say after the mother and daughter boarded at Commercial Broadway, he tried to get the girl's attention and it quickly escalated to a disturbing level. Police say he made several extremely vulgar sexual comments to her, apparently describing sexual acts he wanted to be involved in with the child. He tried several times to touch her and on one occasion he did grab her buttocks. Here's more from Transit Police. Did have a bystander that overheard some of the conversation that was happening and the comments that were being made by the suspect. Uh, they jumped in to stop this this suspect, and uh, at that point in time, he jumped off the SkyTrain at Production Way. Now, Jordan, we saw the images of the suspect uh, there. What other details are police releasing? Well, Sophie, as you heard, he was last seen here in Burnaby. Police say he looks to be between 50 and 60 years old. He's about six feet tall with curly gray hair. And at the time, he was carrying a black Nike duffel bag. So if you know who this guy is, call Transit Police or Crime Stoppers. Or if you witnessed the incident, investigators would also like to hear from you. As mentioned, this happened on a Saturday night, two Saturdays ago. So potentially a lot of witnesses on that train who haven't talked to police just yet. Sophie? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks for that, Jordan. And yet more breaking news now. This from Vancouver Coastal Health. A second case of measles is now confirmed in Vancouver. A warning about the highly infectious disease was originally issued late last month. At that time, health officials said people who traveled to Clark County in Washington State, just outside Portland, Oregon, were at potential risk of exposure to measles. Late this afternoon, officials confirmed this second case was acquired locally. We have gone ahead and notified anyone who may have been exposed by our most recent case of measles. Um, the general public does not need to uh, be concerned that they were exposed to this case, but we think it's important to talk to the public about this matter today because, um, as I mentioned at the beginning, this current case did acquire measles locally, and that means other people in our community may also have been exposed to measles. 
Well, health officials say if you're not sure of your immune st- immunity status or whether or not you've had two doses of measles vaccine, which makes you 99% immune to the disease, you are urged to update your vaccines. Now a heartbreaking plea from the family of a missing cowboy. It's been nearly three weeks since Ben Tyner was last seen at the ranch he manages near Merritt. His horse was found wandering in a remote area two days later with no sign of Tyner. Today, his family shared an emotional appeal for new information. Catherine Urquhart reports. During a tear-filled press conference, family members speak about the mysterious disappearance of Ben Tyner. To say that we are heartbroken is an understatement. Our hearts are shattered and our lives have been thrown into turmoil. Ben Tyner was last seen near Merritt, January 26th. Two days later, his horse Gunny was discovered by a hunter, prompting a week-long search. Dozens of volunteers from 19 search and rescue teams assisted with the effort, but they found no sign of the missing man. I have uh, some difficulty finding the words to express to you all the sadness and loss that our family is feeling from this. When I look at what my brother accomplished with his life in a short time here, it truly amazes me. The 32-year-old career cowboy arrived from Wyoming only three months prior to his disappearance, accepting the manager position at Nicola Ranch. The RCMP's major crime section is reviewing the case, but have not indicated any developments. Just a great guy. Just a a fine human being. That's all I can say. Ben Tyner's parents and brother Jack have spent two weeks at Nicola Ranch. They're now returning home to Wyoming, taking Ben's horse Gunny with them. Leaving without Ben, gut-wrenching. They remain hopeful that one day they'll find answers. To think that I will never again see his smile or hear his infectious laugh is unthinkable. If you have any information that can lead to us finding him, no matter how insignificant it might seem, we would be so truly grateful. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, the Surrey Food Bank is looking for some help after thieves ripped them off. Someone cut through their fence and stole a catalytic converter from one of the food bank's two vans. That means not only a big repair bill, but also a big blow to some families who rely on the food bank. They won't be getting their deliveries. So these are people who are elderly, who have chronic conditions, uh, women who are postpartum, uh, bed rest, people with young children. Like These are the people who need our services the most. And this is not an isolated incident. It has a ripple effect. So somebody coming in and, and stealing something, uh, number one, it costs us thousands of dollars. Number two, it costs people food. Now, some good news, though. While RCMP are now going over surveillance footage for clues, they have also offered to deliver those much-needed hampers tomorrow. And several people have offered to help pay for the repair costs. The case is long over and the public inquest complete, but parents of Lisa Dudley, who died along with her boyfriend in a targeted shooting in Mission more than a decade ago, are back in court today. Dudley's parents are fighting to get back her belongings from police. John Waugh explains why it's taken so long to get to this point. Every step towards this Abbotsford courthouse. 
salt in a never-closing wound for the family of Lisa Dudley. It is tiring. It is exhausting. A fight for Dudley's personal belongings, just the latest chapter in this heartbreaking story. People ask me if I get angry occasionally, but I, it's just the way that our life is. The nightmare began more than a decade ago when police failed to properly respond to a call at this mission home. Six gunshots in a row and a crash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't you love this? The responding officers never left their vehicle. Four days later, Guthrie McKay was found dead, Dudley barely clinging to life. She would die on the way to hospital. I have no comment. Then there was the criminal trials of those responsible. Our whole family feels there's something should be done. And a coroner's inquest into how it was all handled. Now this. We know why we're here for Lisa's belongings, but why has it taken two years? Where, where, do, where does it falter? The process. Reclaiming what little is left to remember Lisa made even harder when you have to fight even for the list of what was taken. The first meeting is to get a, the affidavit and go through it and see what the belongings were. As I mentioned earlier, how, how do we know what they took? With every frustrating legal step they take, the hope is one day another family will be spared from doing the same. Maybe the politicians will see the light and maybe introduce something that will allow a family to get help. Fighting for what they feel is only right after Dudley's death, becoming her family's way of life. John Hua, Global News. Well, South Coasters are getting a nice little break from the snow today. Just enough time to start cleaning up and digging out. In the valley, dozens of cars needed rescuing. And that's where our Grace Key is tonight. Uh, Grace, abandoned car is just one of a number of issues out there today. Yeah, we're just on Highway 1 right by the Watkin Road exit. Right behind me there, you can see this semi that's jackknife off the road here. A lot of cars along this stretch. Some of them look like they've been here for a few days. All along Highway 1 in the Fraser Valley, cars are scattered along the median. At one point, we spotted eight vehicles in one short stretch. It's the aftermath following several days of falling snow and freezing temperatures. In Langley, the driver of this Range Rover unfortunately picked the wrong spot to park in. Water came rushing out of the ground of this parking lot after a water main break due to an old fitting that failed. A tow truck managed to get the car out of the sinkhole. And after spewing out a little water from the exhaust, it even started up. Sinkhole, they, things that happen when it gets cold. It's a good thing that it didn't hit the... Uh the sunroof over here. Heavy snow has been snapping off tree limbs in the Westwood Plateau. One family got a scare when they heard part of their tree come crashing down at three in the morning. I looked outside and I seen this whole big tree falling down. Some transit users had a tough time getting around during their morning commute after service was suspended for two hours in Chilliwack, Abbotsford, Mission, Hope and Agassiz due to the weather. The main roads are being plowed so I don't see a problem with the buses going. So this morning we determined that it wasn't, uh, wasn't advisable to be on the roads at that time and it wasn't safe to do so. The area finally got a break in the weather, and for the city of Vancouver, that means working on secondary streets. That includes hills, care facilities, school zones, and clearing roads for garbage pickup. That's really fortunate for us because we can focus on our secondary priorities, which we haven't had a lot of chance to get to with the snow falling consistently for the last couple of days. <laughs> 
With another snow day for the kids in the Fraser Valley, families made the most out of the warmer temperatures. It's a beautiful February day, and I thought, why not? The kids are being good. They're playing in the backyard, so uh, have a fire and enjoy the day. Well, crews in a lot of municipalities have also been working hard to clear those storm drains for the melt. That's expected. Sophie? Still looks cold out there. All right, thanks very much, Grace. Well, as much of a break as it was, it's going to be brief. Meteorologist Yvonne Schell is here with the details on the next wave expected to hit us. Yvonne. And we're tracking it as early as tomorrow. So today was the calm before the next storm. Here's the timeline and what we're tracking. So overnight tonight, very chilly once again. It'll be dry in towards the morning. But the afternoon and evening will be the concern. The commute home tomorrow and then even in towards the morning hours on our Friday. Here's how it plays out. So tomorrow morning, partly cloudy, but we're tracking wet snow, a Accumulating, And with the transition and slightly warmer air, we could even see the risk of freezing rain. The following areas, a special weather statement has been issued. Higher elevations across Metro Vancouver is where we could see two and up to four centimeters. And a few spots across the island, five and potentially up to 15 centimeters. And the concern will be the risk of freezing rain. I'll have more on that. And also, we've got wind warnings that are in effect. Chris? All right, we'll check in in a moment. And a reminder, people, please don't do this. An example of distracted walking in Cranbrook. Someone clearly engrossed on their cell phone walks right in front of a snowplow working in the parking lot at the arena. Even if you do have enough time, probably not a good idea. Didn't even look back. Now, while children have been reveling in their unexpected days off this week, snow days are another story for parents. Kylie Stanton has more on the challenges and how parents are coping. The sun is out and sleds are flying. Midweek, mid-afternoon can only mean another snow day. Get all this time off school, we can have as much fun as we want. But ask parents how they feel about this stretch of time off and you get a different answer. That's uh, quite a few days. But what can I do? <laughs> I have no control over this. So. Public schools were closed again today from Abbotsford eastward through the Fraser Valley and right across Vancouver Island from Nanaimo south as the west coast continues to battle this rare blast of winter. <laughs> so unfortunately, it's day three. Every district follows a protocol. When snow is imminent, grounds crews begin clearing the sites overnight, making them as accessible as possible, while a transportation supervisor assesses the road conditions. And then it's really a determination about how safe it is to get kids uh, onto buses and along the roads and into our schools. But there can be a trickle-down effect from those decisions. Daycare providers often follow the lead of the district when it comes to closures, and that can leave parents like myself either scrambling for care or just getting creative. It gets really tough and they're like, we can only take so much time off. And, and I get that. And my staff can only take, get not paid so many days as well. It's strictly just becoming a cost for everybody, including operators. Making matters worse, a professional development day is scheduled for Friday throughout the Victoria School District, followed by Family Day on Monday. But the education minister says he isn't concerned. I know that teachers uh, have strategies to make up for lost time. Uh, this is an exceedingly rare event in British Columbia, uh, and they'll be able to do that in the, in the coming months. So enjoy it while you can, with the snow already starting to melt. We should have been here yesterday. And temperatures warming up. School is expected to be back in session by Thursday. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria.
Well, the B.C. legislature resumed today and it was juicy. The session opened with a conflict of interest allegation involving a member of the ride hailing committee. Keith Baldry joins us now with the details. Keith, uh, I'm fascinated to hear about how the government also later on today almost lost a confidence vote. But let's stick with the uh, with the uh, conflict of uh, interest allegation first. The expectation for anyone uh, who is going to be deciding the future of ride hailing is that they would be neutral on the issue, but the Liberals bring up one case where that may not be true. Yeah, so all party committee is studying the ride hailing issue and is preparing a report at the end of March in which they're going to go over all aspects of ride hailing and present recommendations. It's, as I mentioned, an all party uh, uh, committee uh, membership. But in the House today, the Liberals are alleging that one of the members on the NDP side, Delta North MLA Ravi Kalon, is in a perceived conflict of interest because his father owns a taxi license and that uh, whatever is uh, ultimately decided on, on uh, ride hailing could have a financial impact on his. His family, a charge that Mr. Kalon firmly denies. But Adam Olson, the Greens, is a little troubled by this. And Jazz Joel, Jazz Joel of the BC Liberals says it just simply doesn't pass the smell test. I don't think there's any conflict of interest. Uh, all decisions are being made by the minister. All decisions are made by uh, cabinet. And any amendments or any legislation has to be voted on by every member in the House. Certainly uh, the revelations today need to be, uh, the government has to answer to them. Uh, but from our perspective, we need to get away from having the political interest be put uh, ahead of the public interest. At its core, this does not pass the smell test for the average British Columbians. If you're making decisions and recommendations on ride hailing, they want to know that members don't have, directly or indirectly, uh, something that could impact uh, uh, one of your family members in regards to those licenses. So, Chris, back, back to that uh, uh, exciting moment just 45 minutes ago uh, where the NDP government almost lost a confidence vote. So there was a surprise snap vote on the throne speech because of some mix-up or deliberate mix-up between the two sides of not having enough bodies in the chamber to debate the throne speech. The throne speech is a confidence vote. Suddenly the bells were ringing. The vote was being taken. The NDP did not have enough bodies in the chair to beat back the Liberals. The voting time was extended, however. That would probably be a source of controversy tomorrow. And the NDP was barely able to get enough bodies in the chair to win that vote on the throne speech, 42 to 40. NDP House Leader Mike Farnworth tells me as, as unexpected and as dramatic as this was, what simply would have happened after that, uh, the doors would have reopened, more NDP MLAs would have come into the chamber, confidence would have been retested again, another vote would have been taken, and they would have passed that vote. But for a few moments there, it was looking pretty dicey here at the legislature over really a dramatic development that the throne speech supposed to be, the debate supposed to be extended for weeks, literally over in one day. That was uh, unexpected unprecedented. As a result, the NDP almost lost a very embarrassing vote, but it didn't happen. Never a dull moment in Victoria these days. Thanks very much, <laughs> Keith. All right. Right now, though, a low-cost option for home sellers has arrived in Canada, and it's eventually coming to Vancouver. Redfin is an app-based service that claims to give homeowners all the tools they need to sell their own home. Aaron MacArthur reports. How is Redfin able to sell your home for thousands more, but charge a listing fee as low as 1%? A new company coming to Canada to sell houses. Redfin invented map-based searches and now aims to shake up how we buy homes. But we charge 1% to sell a house. And the reason we can do that is because technology makes it very inexpensive for us to meet customers and it makes it inexpensive for us to serve customers. Redfin's agents don't work on commission. The 1% sellers pay goes to the company. 
and agents get bonuses based on customer satisfaction. The results have kind of spoken for themselves. We've been able to get around $500 million in revenue uh, by giving customers a better deal. Redfin opened in Toronto this week and will open later this spring in Vancouver. Traditional agents say they've seen low-cost operators before and it hasn't put anyone out of business. The difference with Redfin is how the company publishes its data. They've got very attractive uh, setup. It's easy to search for homes, I think a little bit easier than uh, some of the Canadian platforms. And uh, what's really great is uh, they assemble sales history. The Real Estate Council of BC says Redfin will have to abide by all regulations, including a brick and mortar location. There's healthy competition in BC's real estate sector. Generally, good news for consumers. And it's important, too, for consumers to know that they're, uh, they need to ensure they understand the services they're getting for commissions and understand why they're paying certain rates for certain services. The Internet company believes in a slumping market, their model will resonate with homeowners trying to sell their most valuable asset. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, among the many promises in yesterday's NDP government throne speech, a pledge to give British Columbians relief from high cell phone bills. But that's raising some eyebrows. Yes, no one disputes the fact that Canadians pay some of the highest mobile rates in the world. But there are questions about what, if anything, the New Democrats can actually do about it. It's an email or letter most British Columbians fear. Your cell phone bill, and the BC government is promising to help. We're going to look at what opportunities there are uh, under uh, provincial jurisdiction in terms of the Consumer Protection Act. The BC NDP announcing in the throne speech new legislation is on the way to improve billing transparency. Ontario has similar rules, and this is what BC can look at based on Manitoba's laws. Companies could be required to provide a copy of the contract to consumers before the contract begins, to fully disclose and explain all charges, fees and terms, and not automatically renew cell phone contracts. Well, certainly the ability to uh, increase transparency for consumers I think is important so that they have the ability to be able to accurately uh, for, uh, compare uh, competing plans, for example. But the B.C. Liberals say this is all a red herring. The government mentioning in the throne speech it wants to give consumers the tools needed for the least expensive possible service. I think it's really a red herring. We know clearly it's within federal jurisdiction. I think British Columbians largely would love to see lower uh, cell phone bills. Here's a look at the things the provincial government has no control over. Prices for cell phones or cell phone service plans, the phones and other equipment provided, the quality or availability of services, and the coverage or capacity of the telecommunications networks. They should be focusing in on uh, true uh, transparency and full disclosure of everything that goes into the rates. And experts say the key to the government's mention of cell phone bills is no matter what is actually accomplished, voters want to see politicians are looking out for them rather than some of the biggest companies in the country. 
Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Ottawa is helping fund two programs to deal with derelict boats in B.C. Transport Canada's Abandoned Boats program will get more than $50,000 to remove two boats from Bowen Island and three from Cadborough Bay. A total of eight boats in B.C. will be cleaned up as part of the Abandoned and Wrecked Vessels Removal Program. A rare interview tonight with a B.C. MP who holds one of the most difficult and contentious positions in the federal cabinet. Linda Aylesworth pressed Fisheries Minister Jonathan Wilkinson about the recent controversy over farmed salmon and PRV, a virus some research shows is a significant threat to wild salmon. There's been a lot in the news lately about the Piscine Rio virus, or PRV. It infects the vast majority of salmon farms along our coast. There are folks on one side who have very serious concerns, and there are others who, uh, who take the view that, that the impacts are non-existent or, or minimal. Today, Canada's fisheries minister made himself available to discuss his take on the matter. While I respect the folks that, that are concerned about PRV. At this stage, the science doesn't necessarily support that. Backing him up, a panel of scientists, half-government employees, who released their findings last week before their report was completed, concluding that PRV poses minimal risk to wild sockeye salmon. But not all the committee experts agreed. We're communicating results to the general public that are based on a huge levels of uncertainty, and then there's a report that shows the potentially deadly effect PRV can have on our already stressed populations of Chinook salmon, the ones that southern resident killer whales rely on for food. DFO's own researcher, Dr. Christy Miller, found that when the virus gets into Chinook salmon cells, it causes them to explode. Which brings us to the federal court case brought against the Department of Fisheries and Oceans over its policy not to test young farm salmon for PRV before they're released into open net pens where the virus can transfer to wild fish, a case the government lost. We think that the minister going forward must start testing for PRV in the very least. Otherwise, he maintains this policy of willful blindness. You can test for all kinds of things that actually have no impact on the environment. PRV is only one. So instead of testing for PRV, the minister is offering to look into moving the farms away from migrating wild salmon and pass the responsibility of testing to others. If there's an interest, for example, in the Broughton, we're quite happy to actually set up the First Nations, help them to set up a, a testing process to be able to do that. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Up next, the chair tosser goes to court. Is there anything that you want to say, apologize, or, or anything that you want to say? After her dangerous stunt, the woman charged may not be aware of the gravity of the situation. And Black Panther, stunning images of one of the rarest creatures captured on camera. A 19-year-old woman who made international headlines for all the wrong reasons smiles as she leaves a court appearance in Toronto. Marcella Zoya turned herself into police after this video went viral of her throwing a chair off the 45th story of a Toronto high-rise. She faces a number of charges, including mischief and endangering life. Her lawyer says she was subjected to peer pressure by the people she was with at the time. The chair landed near the front entrance of the condo. Thankfully, no one was hurt. Well, with temperatures plummeting, many people may find themselves using space heaters to supplement their central system. But a Toronto man's near-death experience is a lesson for everyone in what not to do. 
This is what could happen to your home because of a space heater. Just ask the Toronto man who on Monday awoke to flames and narrowly escaped with his life. The outcome, total devastation. They're not designed or intended to be a principal source of heat in the home. You only want them to heat uh, an area, a small area in the home to supplement the heat that's already there. Space heaters are popular during the cold winter months. They're space and cost efficient. But as Ben Simak learned, small means mighty. Simak lives in a downtown Toronto high-rise. He says the heat wasn't working on Monday, so he plugged in a space heater, which lit a nearby couch on fire. Fire officials are investigating to determine what exactly led to the blaze. The test fabric caught fire in a matter of minutes. A consumer report shows how quickly the flames can spread. And this overheated space heater ignites in seconds. Simax condo was virtually incinerated in less than 15 minutes. But it's when they're misused, they're not maintained properly, or they're improperly set up, that's when we, cause, we find that there are problems. But if you follow a few basic safety rules, Captain Wojnarski says portable and stationary space heaters can be effective tools for providing added warmth at home. You can see we have a one meter clearance from any combustibles. Okay, it's on a non-combustible floor, nice, flat, sturdy surface. Karen Lieberman, Global News. One other important safety tip, never use an extension cord or a power bar with a space heater. Plug it directly into an outlet or it could overheat and cause a fire. A major auto recall tonight. Ford is recalling one and a half million of its best-selling F-Series pickup trucks across North America. The recall includes 2011 to 2013 F-150 trucks with six-speed automatic transmissions. The automaker says a glitch can cause the transmission to suddenly downshift into first gear. There have been five reported accidents linked to that problem, including one that caused a whiplash injury. Owners will be notified by letter next month about bringing their vehicles in to get it fixed. A happy ending tonight for a 160-kilogram tiger that was found in an abandoned house in Houston, Texas. The tiger was discovered by a group of people who'd broken into the home to smoke pot. He was in the garage in a cage that was too small and not nearly sturdy enough to hold him. He appears to be well-fed and investigators are trying to track down his owner, who they don't believe is the owner of the property. The tiger, now nicknamed Tyson after the movie The Hangover, has now been moved to an animal sanctuary. And stunning new images tonight of one of nature's most elusive creatures taken last month in Kenya. It's believed this is the first time in nearly 100 years that a black panther has been captured on camera in Africa. The animal is more commonly found in Southeast Asia. In Health Matters tonight, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh is calling on Ottawa to take action to lower the price of prescription drugs. The Burnaby South by-election candidate says the measures he's presenting today were introduced in the House of Commons in 2016, but haven't been implemented. They include increasing the list of countries from which Canada buys medications and requiring pharmaceutical companies to release their research and development costs. We need to give the patented medicine prices review board this, the tools it needs to be able to do the job of protecting Canadians, and with our proposals, we will reduce the cost of medication. A lighter side of all the snow we've been seeing on the south coast, caught on video a scream-worthy moment for some tobogganers in Victoria. <laughs> oh, 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 oh
Yeah, that's a rat making a dash for it while sledders and tobogganers go whipping by on Ryan Street Hill in Victoria yesterday. Well, the rodent didn't quite make it on its first attempt, colliding with a sled. It had a good bounce recovery and managed to cross on its second effort. The entire episode caught on GoPro. It's just weird. It's amazing. It's going viral for good reason. And, and then there's the animal who is having a much better day than that rat. That's right. Coming up right after the forecast, the winner of the Super Bowl of dog shows, now the king of New York. <laughs> All right. Yvonne Shell joins us now with a look at our forecast. Uh, getting very cold tonight. And we're not done with the snow yet, Yvonne. Yes. If it's just the calm before the next storm, I hope you got out and enjoyed today. A quick glance of what we did see with the sunshine there today. The flurries used off as we take a look at some video of what it looked like in kits earlier today. So fantastic. By the afternoon, it cleared out for many areas and this is what it looks like. It's pretty if you don't have to commute, but we are going to be tracking the return for some snowfall once again and that'll be by the afternoon and evening tomorrow. Chilly right now, minus one with the wind chill tonight, though feeling closer to minus nine. Here's the next weather maker that is going to push in across the southern half of the province. The timing once again, it'll be for the afternoon and evening tomorrow. Most areas near the water could be wet snow or transition over to rain, but higher elevations and a few spots across the island will see accumulating snowfall, so be prepared afternoon, evening, and this will take us in towards our Friday morning. Special weather statement for the following areas and the concern or higher amounts will be for Howe Sound, the Sunshine Coast, eastern and inland sections of the island, 5 and up to 15 centimetres of snowfall, and with the transition and slightly warmer air that's pushing in, we could even see the risk of freezing rain for Metro Vancouver, the Fraser Valley, and Howe Sound. Wind warning in effect for Howe Sound with gusts of up to 100 kilometres per hour. This is this evening and in towards your Thursday morning. And the central coast, coastal sections, will see the winds ramping up for tomorrow morning and continuing through your Friday with gusts of up to 110 kilometres per hour. Along the coast tomorrow, some sunny breaks, inland chilly for Smithers up to minus 6.6. Most areas for the central interior, partly cloudy sky. It'll be a beautiful start for the southern interior, but the snow is going to push in towards the evening hours. And along the south coast, the concern will be for the afternoon and evening hours, where we're looking at wet snow for most areas, risk of freezing rain, higher elevations accumulating snowfall. If you're looking for a break, it'll be late Saturday and plenty of sunshine making a return on our Sunday. Tonight's weather window, a great shot sent in from Sally from Silver Star with the fresh powder there. Guys? Sally from Silver Star. All right, thanks very much. I just like saying that. (laughs) An appropriately named canine, named King, is on top of the dog show world tonight. You know, I love you all. (laughs) Every one of you is best in show. The Wire Fox Terrier. Well, we've seen that before. The Wire Fox Terrier was named best in show at the Westminster Kennel Club. Somewhat scandalously, because it's the 15th time this breed has won the prestigious title, far more than any other breed. King beat out nearly 3,000 competitors to take the top prize. Are you We're waiting to see if she sneezes. Nope. Hold so, in. Okay. Quickly, let's bring Squire in with sports. Just let it out. I can't. Be natural. The uh, Canucks will not have to throw a 19-year-old rookie in goal tonight in Anaheim, although facing the Ducks would be a lot easier and better than going up against San Jose. Vancouver will have Jacob Markstrom back in goal. Uh, Marek Mazonic, the guy they picked up the other day from the Rangers, he'll be the backup. Michael DiPietro will soon be back with his junior team. The Canucks will be favored in this one because the Ducks 
have really crashed hard after being at one point this season eight games over 500. But since then, they have been 2-15-4. It forced them to finally fire head coach Randy Carlisle, which I think was merciful. So tonight, tonight the Canucks will face the Ducks team with GM Bob Murray as their interim coach. Hey, look, it's Connor McDavid, 97 against 87. Sidney Crosby. McDavid has the puck. Now to Leon Dreisaitl. He scores. The only two Oilers that really do anything night tonight give a 1-0 lead to Edmonton, but that disappears. Nice pass by Latang here. Off the net to Teddy Bluger. Rhymes with Freddy Krueger. 2-1 after 2 for the Penguins. Nope. That's okay. I told you to be natural. Uh, the Whitecaps regular season is just over two weeks away. Game one is March 2nd against Minnesota, and we aren't really sure yet. Will all their eligible players be able to play? Vancouver has 15 new players, some of which haven't been able to train with them yet, but there will be three exhibition games down in California to integrate those players that haven't made it here. Because of that, you may want to temper expectations at least for the start of the season. When there is so much change like this, I mean, it is it's pretty much building a new a new team, and uh, including the you know the coaching staff that have come in you as well. So it's uh, it's no easy feat, but um, but I think probably by game four or five, I think we'll have our kind of you know complete thing, and people will understand and get to know each other and really think. So I think a bit of patience is required or asked for you know for the for the fans but um you know we're we're doing our best working hard and and the idea is to get there as quick as possible while the players don't mind tempering people's expectations the coach is still uber confident me as a coach i've always had my bar very high so i have high dreams i have high hopes i want this team to make the playoffs i want us to be in minimum in the final of the Canadian Championship. So these are all objectives that we want, regardless of the turnaround. What we don't want to do is put a low bar and say, oh, we would be happy with that. That, that is creating a losing environment. We don't want that. The Santos was a small ass. That should have been a yeah. The uh, talk of Freddie Montero coming back to the Whitecast for this season keeps getting louder. Possibilities are getting better. He was with the Sporting in Portugal last year, scored just three goals in 20 games. But one thing he's always been able to do is score in Major League Soccer. So if the Whitecaps do get him, that would be a welcomed return. In his one season with the Caps, he did not disappoint. Scored 14 goals in 36 league games. Worked very well with Jordi Reyna, one of the few Whitecaps still around. So getting Montero back should alleviate concerns that the Whitecaps don't have enough firepower in the forward position. The BC Lions' big-name free agent shopping didn't end yesterday. Today, they signed receiver Deron Carter to a one-year contract. He's a guy who has had some great moments in the CFL and some not-so-great. He's considered a big talent who doesn't always apply himself. But Ed Hervey is willing to give Carter a clean slate in BC. Well, here's the thing, right? The, everyone deserves a chance, a second chance and third chance, whatever it is. All that stuff is behind him, and as far as we're concerned... We've done our due diligence. We did our research. Uh, we feel very good about uh, the Deron Carter that we're getting. If BC gets the best version of Deron Carter, then new quarterback Mike Riley will have a deep thread who can bring the spectacular to the Lions passing attack. Oh, second and ten, a pump and looking for Carter. Jump ball! Oh, what a catch! Did you see that? Touchdown! That's what you need to have. you got to have those weapons. you got to have 
people that are threats at all times on the field. And there's no doubt, I don't think, in anybody's mind that he is that type of guy. Um, and I'm excited to get to know his personality. He's, he's obviously a colorful personality. I've dealt with a lot of guys that have, have been labeled colorful personalities. And more often than not, the thing that I learn is once you get to know them and they get in the locker room, they become some of the best teammates that you've ever had. And I believe that Duran is that guy. Um, and I, I'm looking forward to working with him. That's the old school logo on a new hat. It looks good. I'm digging it. It looks good. Yeah, that's a nice looking hat. Thanks. Here's a look at your snow report for today with fresh snow from many of the mountains. Whistler Blackcomb with 12 new centimeters. Grouse 10, Cypress 6, and 12 for Sasquatch. Revelstoke with 5 new centimeters, 35 new centimeters for Fernie. Manning Park 16, Whitewater 10. 12 new centimeters for Big White, 9 for Silver Star, and 2 for Sun Peaks. 1 new centimeter for Kicking Horse, Mount Washington 3, Powder King with a base of 258. Well, to call it an overachiever would be an understatement. When NASA's Opportunity rover landed on Mars, it was expected to last about three months. Well, today, nearly 15 years later, NASA scientists bidded a tearful and final farewell after it disappeared in a Martian storm. From the moment it landed on Mars, the photographs were jaw-dropping. Strange blueberry-like rock formations, deep craters, magnificent vistas, its own tire tracks in the sand, and that iconic selfie. Opportunity and its twin rover Spirit landed in 2004. Designed to last just 90 days, they wouldn't quit. These two rovers really did change the way we think about doing planetary science. The biggest discovery, evidence that Mars was once hot and wet the perfect environment for life that could even exist underground today. While Spirit fell silent in 2010, Opportunity kept going. Then, last June, it was lost in a massive dust cloud. Even though it's a machine... Uh, and we're saying goodbye, it's still very hard. While another rover, Curiosity, remains, Opportunity is now part of the planet it sought to explore. Tom Costello, NBC News, Washington. Some of those images are really cool, aren't they? They should send Matt Damon there to fix it. He's very good on Mars, I saw him. It's a lost yeah. opportunity. Okay. Yeah. That's very good. It got dusted. A lost How's that one? Well, hey, you started dusted. it. So. I know I did. <laughs> we love the puns here on the news hour. Uh, I won't use one thrown to you for last word uh, on weather because it, uh, it could be dicey tonight mm-hmm. and into tomorrow. Yes, uh, icy conditions, a dry start tomorrow, but we are tracking the potential for snow once again. It'll be late tomorrow and in towards the evening. Thanks, Yvonne. Have a good night, everyone. Good night.